Hello and welcome back to Leader Up, a podcast of Army Management Staff College. Leader Up is a professional leadership conversation where we discuss a broad range of leadership and leader development topics with an emphasis on the Army civilian profession. I'm your host, David Howie. In today's episode, we have a guest that I know our Leader Up audience will be excited to hear from. Mr. Michael Formica is the Combined Arms Center Deputy to the Commanding General, and he's joining us today to talk about leadership and leader development. So, Mr. Formica, thank you so much for being with us today on Leader Up. David, it is a, it is a true pleasure, and I look forward to the conversation we're going to have. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you. And so, let me just jump right in and ask you um, a little bit about so that so our audience will know kind of who you are and what you've done to get you to this point. Um, so just tell us a little bit about number one, your background, and then also your current job uh, as the deputy to the commanding general here at the Combined Arms Center. Well, well, thanks, David. And so I'm proud to say I have been an Army professional for over 37 years, uh, 27 of that in uniform, and then uh, 10 years as a senior executive, as a member of the, uh, of the Army. Uh, I, I uh, entered service uh, right out of university, uh, was a combat arms officer, as I mentioned, for, uh, for 27 years. Uh, my last assignment was at Training and Doctrine Command. I spent a year uh, doing other things after I retired, and then I had an opportunity to compete to become an SES in the United States Army, and my first assignment was as the Deputy G3 at Tradoc. I did that for over four years, uh, and then I had the opportunity and the privilege to, to become the MCOM Europe Director, uh, a leadership position uh, for which about 6,500 uh, uh, Army professionals both uh, appropriated fund and non-appropriated fund and uh, local nationals were part of the great MCOM Europe team. Uh, and most recently, I arrived here about a year ago uh, to become the deputy to the commanding general of the Combined Arms Center. And the Combined Arms Center, while located at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, really is a global activity. Uh, all of the Army's centers of excellence, uh, which are two-star billets associated principally with warfighting functions, uh, and responsible for the uh, providing professional military education to our uniformed professionals, our soldiers, are located uh, across the United States. And then we have uh, we have outreach capabilities uh, inside of uh, the various Army Service Component Commands around the world as well. Um, the uh, Combined Arms Center, as I mentioned, professional military education for soldiers and also for our Army Civilian Corps. And uh, uh, the keystone activity associated with that is the Army Management Staff College. Uh, and as the senior civilian inside of Training and Doctrine Command and the Combined Arms Center, I have a vested interest uh, in the professional development of the civilian uh, cohort of our Army. Uh, and so uh, that's one of the key things I do as the deputy to the commanding general here at Combined Arms Center. And so if we, if we think back to uh, those many, many years ago when you were first, uh, first came into the Army, uh, if you could think back how you have seen over those many years the role of the Army civilian, how has that role changed? How are Army civilians different today 
than they were 20 years ago, uh, 25, 30 years ago? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And uh, uh, first of all, I think it's uh, it's important to note that uh, the Army civilian is a member of the Army profession, okay? Uh, and that was a conscious decision made in 2010 by then General Dempsey, the commander of TRADOC, as the Army established the Army profession and the Army's profession professional ethic. Uh Conscious decision to recognize that the over 275,000 civilian strong cohort needed to be part of that profession. And and that was a clear, in my mind, uh, milestone in the Army's recognition of the criticality of the civilian uh, inside of the 1.2 man, 2 million man active component, reserve component. And then you add the 275,000. So almost 1.2. 5 million uh, Americans serving in uniform and out make up, make up the army profession. And we became part of it then, uh, which recognized uh, not just the technical skills, the touch labor, uh, the administrative skills that often were associated with civilians. And perhaps 35 years ago was my perspective of what the army civilian did inside the army. Uh, but clearly recognized the essentiality of the leadership uh, and the technical requirements that the uh, Army civilian brings uh, to to the Army. Um, and, and from that point on, and first of all, uh, my optics became associated as a civilian. That's about the time I entered as an SES. It became clear to me that the dependency upon the civilian uh, and including us in the profession was intended to enable the army to put soldiers uh, into positions that were uniquely soldier skills. We were a nation at war at time. We were surging forces uh, to be able uh, to operate in Iraq and Afghanistan, as well as other forward locations. Uh, and it was important that if there was any opportunity to free a space from a from a soldier and, and backfilled with a capable, qualified, and uh, well-trained leader as a civilian, we did so. Um, so that that's kind of why we are where we are. And over time, I think our Army appreciated the great capability that the Civilian Corps could bring and then recognized uh, if we wanted to improve that, sustain that, continue to move that forward, then we ought to include us in the Army profession. Over. And uh, that kind of leads me right into my next question, which is about professional development, because on on the military side, professional development has been emphasized heavily for many, many, many years. And the the Army Civilian Corps uh, is, is also now very interested in developing themselves as part of the Army profession. So I just want to hear your thoughts about why civilian professional development is so important uh, for us as part of the Army Civilian Corps? Yeah, so um, so if you, as you said, you segue from my last response, which was you are now part of the profession and you are valued members of the team and we, and we the Army, recognize uh, the essentiality of the many uh, 
activities and functions and missions that we ask you to perform, then as part of the profession, you know, there are three subparts, character, competence, and commitment. We need to make sure that uh, we are developing you and you develop yourself uh, to, to be a professional of character, a professional of competence, and a professional who is committed to the service of our nation. Uh, and professional military education really touches on every one of those uh, attributes that we expect of an Army professional. Uh, we, we inculcate throughout the various levels of professional military education, and we're talking education now, we're not talking training, we're not talking technical skills improvement necessarily, uh, but we're talking education. So we want to make sure that that our Army civilian uh, appreciates uh, the, the criticality of being an individual of character in this Army because character uh, and all that goes into the Army values of uh, loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage are uh, expected of soldiers and the civilian must maintain those same values to be able to be respected uh, by the soldier counterpart. Uh, we do that in professional military education. We, we imbue that in our junior leaders, and then we ensure it, it remains consistent and present in our leaders as they advance, and, and as important that they are imbuing that in their subordinates. Uh, the competence piece is making sure that those leadership competencies that we have defined for our Army, uh, which are present in, uh, in our Army regulations, are taught to our civilian professionals. And again, that's what we do inside of the professional military education aspect in the various levels that the Army Management Staff College. Uh, absent that, uh, it, it's very hard for an individual uh, to continue to grow as a leader, to appreciate uh, where his or her strengths and perhaps areas for improvement are to be able to uh, better develop themselves. And again, as important, uh, see their subordinates through that same lens so that they're able to develop them. And then lastly, I, I think professional military education becomes a touchstone for a professional to go back to uh, to remain committed to service uh, and committed to the United States Army as a critical uh, part of our nation's defense uh, and, the, and, and, frankly, the fabric of our nation. And so professional military education allows us to take that civilian core, which is such an important part of our Army's fabric, uh, to, 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 first of all, be individuals of character, uh, to recognize uh, the, the competent skills they have and what need to be developed, and then to, uh, to be committed and to, and to inspire others to be committed to the profession as well. And last uh, fall, I read uh, this document that uh, is called the Army's People Strategy. And uh, I'm just curious to hear your viewpoints about that document and how that's related to uh, professional development in the Army Civilian Corps? Yeah, so uh, the Army People Strategy really uh, is uh, a, a it, it is what it says. It's a strategy and it is focusing uh, the resources and the efforts of our Army to specific outcomes associated with both 
uh, the, the soldier side as well as the civilian side. And I'm proud to say that uh, we have a civilian implementation plan that works across a variety of lines of effort from how we uh, acquire or assess individuals into uh, the civilian corps to how we develop them in the civilian corps, uh, and then how we employ them or ensure that uh, their efforts are, are, are best suited for the activities uh, that we need them uh, to be able to perform. And then lastly, how we retain them in, in the Army in that service after you know we have uh, brought them on board, developed them, and we want to make sure that we are retaining uh, that, that talent, those civilians inside of our Corps. Uh, really seminal document. It's the first time the Army has taken a look at the civilian Corps through, uh, through the lens of how we build a strategy across lines of effort with major objectives and milestones uh, to be able to do the four things that I outlined there. Uh, and, and again, I'm, I'm really proud of uh, where the Army has uh, taken this to this point. The plan is on the street. It's a, it was approved. Uh, and we are we are working hard to to take what is on paper and make it reality across the army. And let's talk about uh, uh, our organization, the Combined Arms Center that that you're a part of, and I'm I'm also a part of that. Uh, these things, these initiatives that the army is trying to do to improve civilian development, specifically supervisor development. What are some of those things that the Army's doing and what is our organization, the Combined Arms Center, what is our role in making those things happen? Yeah, so let me just link a couple things together here that I've been talking about. So 2010, the Army says the Civilian Corps is part of the profession. Uh, 2019, 2020, the Army says, okay, let's have a strategy that enables our Army Civilian Corps to perform to the best degree possible. Uh, in support of that Army profession, that we acquire the right people, that we develop those people, that we leverage their talents, uh, and that we retain them. Uh, and then we, TRADOC, and specifically CAC, uh, is the lead integrator for that line of effort which is developed, which is exactly in our wheelhouse, right? Uh, and uh, we, we see this as a great opportunity to, first of all, as you mentioned, ensure that uh, new supervisors are fully aware of all of the uh, Office of Personnel Management requirements uh, that that lead to a workplace uh, service inside of the profession by our Army professionals uh, to uh, that that is exactly the kind of environment that people will thrive in. It is it is inspirational. Uh, it is free of. Uh, you know, hostile work environment activities, all those kinds of things. We want to make sure we that those conditions and set are set, and, and that is part of supervisory development. And there are specific tasks. I want to say over 150 uh, skills and uh, knowledge tasks that individuals that are for first time going to be supervisors need to really appreciate. And we have gone from or are going from an online course to do that. Uh, to really a hybrid of online training, face-to-face training with the local uh, civilian personnel offices uh, to uh, 
instruction that is nested inside of our various levels of uh, professional military education to reinforce that. So over about a year's time, an individual that has first become a supervisor uh, at the end of that time will have a solid appreciation beyond, you know, man against computer, PowerPoint slide deep, but a solid appreciation of what it means to be a supervisor and to be a leader of, uh, of civilians. So really, really uh, significant uh, progress made there. And, and we'll start seeing that uh, in the uh, second and third quarter of fiscal year 21, when those activities that we've been working on uh, manifest themselves in an improved online course. Uh, the civilian personnel agencies on the installations have their face-to-face -face training in hand, and we've inculcated or nested uh, all that with uh, what we do in the basic, intermediate, and advanced courses as part of the Army Management Staff College. I think it's important to note that this isn't just for uh, civilian supervisors, that the military supervisors are required uh, to participate in this training as well. I, and I use the word required very specifically because uh, this is not uh, what well, would be nice if you did it. This It, it is absolutely critical that we uh, we get to a point in our army in which, you know, uh, leaders are being held accountable for the completion of these tasks by supervisors uh, so that we can, you know, again, provide for the a work environment that is consistent with the uh, policies and regulations of our government in terms of, uh, of, of, of really leveraging and nurturing the uh, capabilities of our Army professionals that are civilians. And you just talked a little bit about uh, my organization, Army Management Staff College, and I, I would just like to ask you if you can elaborate on how you see our role, Army Management Staff College's role, in the future professional development of civilians, uh, kind of what, what it is now, and then maybe how you see an organization like Army Management Staff College in the future. Yeah, so uh, first of all, I, as I mentioned earlier, I think the Army Management Staff College is, uh, you, you know, pick the metaphor, keystone, uh, cornerstone of, of this activity. It is absolutely essential that this organization uh, continue uh, in, in the manner that it has and in the process uh, develop uh, perhaps different means to deliver the education uh, across the world to the 275,000 plus Army civilians inside the Army Civilian Corps. Um, when, I, when I arrived here a year ago, I did not have a full appreciation of the amount of effort and the quality of the product uh, that went that comes out of an individual that attends the you know the basic, the intermediate, and the advanced courses, as well as the what is called the CECL program or the Continuing Education for Senior Leaders. Um, so I, I went down to AMSC uh, and and I said I, I need you guys to lay this out for me. Tell me you know what you did to develop the programs of instruction uh, for the various uh, coursework and the courses that we, we perform for our army. And I will, after about two hours, I was really amazed at the linkages between uh, the leadership competencies our army has defined for both soldiers and civilians and how that had been built into those programs of instruction. 
and then how it was reinforced throughout the various levels of, uh, you know, the educational tiers towards uh, acquisition of knowledge. I, I, I'm not an expert. I'm not even a novice, but, you know, Bloom's taxonomy is, is the means in which you track to what degree your education is, uh, is achieving the outcomes for adults, right? And the way these programs of instruction were developed, we are able to achieve the highest level inside of that taxon taxonomy through resident face-to-face -face education. The challenge that we have faced, uh, and, we, and, and we have faced this, frankly, uh, for the last dozen or more years, is that while we have this great capability and we have sufficient capacity, uh, we have not been able to draw enough attendance. Uh, to, to be able to receive uh, this professional military education. Now, our Army specifies that as a supervisor, and it depends upon at what grade you're a supervisor, you know, whether it's at the 11, 12, 13, 14, or uh, 9 to 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, uh, you're supposed to receive this educational training. The corollary is what we do for the officer corps and the NCO corps, that by rank, there is specific uh, professional military education that you're supposed to read, receive. Unfortunately, we have not been able to uh, see the kind of attendance that would ensure that every supervisor inside of those bands of grades has received this education. And, and the challenge is um, that in many cases, we've lost opportunities. And in some cases, that lack of leader development uh, leads to a work environment for which uh, Army professionals are not inspired and perhaps not performing to the greatest extent they want to or are able to. Okay, and we often see this in federal employment viewpoint surveys in which, you know, there, there tends to be criticism about those kinds of things inside of our organizations across the Army. So how do we address that? And over the last year plus, the Army Management Staff College has been working very hard on a couple activities, one of which uh, was induced based upon uh, the coronavirus, and the other preceded it, uh, and for which we hope to be able to uh, leverage more fully here in the future. Uh, the, the, the first that we had been working on before COVID was this, this concept of taking the education to three or four places across the nation versus having folks come to here really to reduce the challenge it is for Army civilians and for the organizations they come from to be able to send them all the way out to Fort Leavenworth for two, three, or four weeks at a time, depending upon the class. So we call that mobile education teams at satellite locations, Belvoir, Aberdeen, uh, Redstone, uh, San Antonio, Texas, as an example in which if you're in a region there, you would travel to that location to receive the instruction. The mobile education team, uh, that, that's a concept that we want to uh, really transition to. All right, now the second, the second thing driven by COVID was uh, a virtual means of delivering education. And we were forced into that, like much of the professional military education to include the Command General Staff College. And Hats off to the AMSC team and to Army University. They converted curriculum to that. That said, we are in the process now, having executed those, 
to really determine to what degree that, you know, the terminal learning outcomes and objectives uh, that we aspire to from a course are able to be achieved by uh, that, that modality of education. Our initial sense is if there are six levels in this Bloom's taxonomy, we can get to about four through the best virtual education means possible. The last two are perhaps problematic. So what we think for the future, what the future might look like. The future might be a hybrid, and this is what I've challenged the MSC team to do, a hybrid between virtual for portions of the course and then limited mobile education teams uh, at these at these satellite locations. Uh, so we do a couple things. Uh, we reduce the amount of time that an Army uh, civilian is away from his or her home, and many times that's, that is a challenge given you know, the, uh, the composition of our workforce and also reduce the amount of time perhaps that an army civilian is away from his or her duty position. Uh, let me build on that last point just for a moment. Why, so why is it different for a soldier versus an army civilian? Well, for us, for our soldiers recognizing the criticality of unit readiness, there is already an account built, uh, that really puts X number of soldiers in our army into this account simply for training, edu education, and for hospitalization. It's called the TTHS account. No such account exists for the Army Civilian Corps. So when Formica steps out of his job to attend some long-term educational activity, it's at the expense of his organization, seat unfilled, next person covers for kind of thing. So we recognize that challenge, and that's why we're looking for a hybrid solution that perhaps will address both the you know, the personal family issues associated with civilian court, as well as the organizational advantage. All of this focused on making sure that by about uh, 2029 or so, you know, every civilian at that those, for lack of a better term, pay bands I described, that is a supervisor, will have attended this course, okay? The appropriate course, be it the basic, the intermediate, or the advanced course, because we are absolutely confident that we have a great program of instruction. Uh, and if we can increase attendance, that the environment that our uh, uh, leaders lead in will improve and the retention of these critical uh, individuals for which we've invested money in acquiring and developing and, uh, and leveraging their skills and service to our nation, uh, they will, they will want to continue to serve more. So that's, you know, a long answer to a short question, but the criticality of AMSC, I hope, is evident inside of uh, inside of that. Over. That, that's very helpful, and I'm I'm sure our leader up audience out there is uh, very interested to hear uh, hear hear that your your views about how we can increase attendance in uh, our CES courses. So, thank you for that for that insight and and those responses. I want to ask you, uh, Mr. Formica, about uh, a little bit more about you personally, uh, about your journey to becoming an SES, and maybe if, if you could just talk about the important milestones or the choices uh, that you've made over the past 10 years to, that, that helped you get to where you are today in your career uh, as an SES. David, thanks. And um, 
So I'm gonna I'm gonna answer the question uh, perhaps a little bit differently than you expected. Okay, and so for ten years I have been an SES, and for ten years I have been a coach and a mentor for a number of Army civilians who aspire to either become a GS fourteen, a fifteen, or an SES. And and you know I arrived at becoming an SES through, frankly, the benefits of having been a soldier and an officer in the United States Army that had a, you know, gave me every opportunity for broadening assignments, provided me with a regimented education system that developed my skills to be able to operate in a variety of assignments. And that led to me being able to, you know, command uh, at the highest level as a colonel in the United States Army at a brigade combat team level. And so, uh, I was well prepared to become a senior executive in the Army through those activities. And and so that is not a good corollary. What I say to all the individuals that I coach and mentor is, how do we take you as a true blue civilian? Okay, the individual that starts at a GS, you know, two, three, four, five, okay, and has worked their way up to become a GS-11 or a GS-12 or 13 and has aspirations and has all of the, you know, the capability and the competencies to be an SES. What do we need to do to make you as competitive as and as prepared for as, you know, the colonel that just retired? Okay, that's what we got to do. And, and, and frankly, it starts before 11. And that's that's what I'm trying to build into the, you know, to the fabric of the Army Civilian Corps with develop at at the earliest times at the seven or nine. When we bring you to the basic course, you know, you've got to recognize the need for developmental assignments and seek those out and have those conversations with your supervisor. OK, you you need to recognize uh, the educational opportunities that you need to seek out for the army to resource or perhaps uh, you uh, you you work on your own to acquire, be it an advanced degree or some other uh, professional certification or credential. OK, and, and then lastly, you got to be mobile. You've got to recognize that inside of the, you know, the office area or the function that you currently work. Uh, your your opportunities for advancement may be limited, and more importantly, your ability to recognize and and build yourself to be an enterprise leader may be limited as well. And so, my my thought for aspiring civilians that at one point want to uh, become SESs is uh, you, you've got to seek broadening assignments that take you out of your comfort zone enable you to have a greater appreciation of how the enterprise operates. So if you don't understand financial management, you want to work inside of uh, an RM shop somewhere inside your organization. If you don't understand ops and plans, then you need to work inside of uh, that kind of outfit inside of your organization. If you don't understand how the front office works and what senior leaders think and how they approach life every day, then you want to seek out an opportunity to be an executive uh, assistant for uh, for a senior leader to be able to do it as the example. Okay. And you got to recognize that, you know, you may have to be mobile outside of the geographical area that you grew up in or you're serving in to be able to do that. So, uh, that's, that's how I coach, uh, and, and, uh, also, uh, mentor, uh, army civilians that aspire to be SES. My own awareness as an SES and start and, you know, the, the Department of Defense has tiers, tier one equivalent of a one star SES, tier two equivalent of a two star, 
tier three equivalent of a uh, three star. Uh, the Department of the Army's approach has been, uh, you know, you work at a tier until you've demonstrated the capability for either uh, advancement or a lateral to, to broaden your understanding for future advancement. Okay. And, and you should be mobile as well in doing that. And what I have learned in my 10 years and three assignments inside that 10 years, first deputy G3 trade off director income Europe, and now the deputy to the commanding general CAC is uh, that I, I did not have, as I entered a tier one, a full appreciation of the Army enterprise. I did not have, as I entered as a tier one, a full appreciation of senior leadership at the enterprise level. And, and through the developmental opportunities and the educational opportunities that our Army uh, provides SESs, I gained those. And so at about the time in TRADOC that I was like, I got this. I understand the next day won't be a surprise. About that time, the Army said, yep, I think it's probably about ready for you to do something next, and let's challenge you. And that's when I got to go to Europe and do something I had never understood before, uh, installation management. Uh, and and what it took as a leader inside of you know that kind of organization to be able to, to lead up and out in the enterprise and down and in with the great civilians uh, that made up uh, the Installation Management Command in Europe. Uh, so... Uh, there's continuous growth at every stage, and you have to be prepared uh, for those broadening assignments. You should not. You should seek them out, uh, and you should, uh, as need be, be mobile to be able to uh, uh, to be uh, to serve inside them. Over. Uh, thank you for that response, and I'm sure that uh, we have some folks out in our leader up audience that will really appreciate uh, that, that kind of career advice. And my, my last question uh, that I, I'd like to ask you is about uh, MCOM, Installation Management Command. And specifically, uh, if, you, if you just think back on uh, when the Army adopted uh, the installation management philosophy that it has now 15, 16, 17, 18, almost 20 years ago, uh, when Installation Management Agency, now MCOM, stood up, and you were the director of, of MCOM Europe. How has MCOM, the presence of MCOM, changed, affected, made more important the role of the Army civilians within the profession of arms? Yeah, so... Um this sort of takes us back to the point in the uh, in the conversation where, you know, our army recognized uh, uh, the 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 need for soldiers uh, to be in tactical units to perform the tasks of the army profession that only they can perform, which generally is the the closing with and destroying the enemies of our nation, uh, and, and recognized that there was an opportunity inside of the then installation management activity uh, to convert many of the positions inside of the garrisons. Uh, and at that point, I don't believe they, I, I believe they were called area support groups uh, into civilian positions. And it, and it is just a great example of how the civilian Corps was asked uh, to, uh, to, to step up, lead up, uh, to become 
the leaders of the various subordinate organizations inside of a garrison. Uh, so from what used to be, you know, a lieutenant colonel or major, uh, perhaps branch in material, perhaps an engineer, uh, became, uh, became the uh, purview of a army civilian, okay, to become uh, the DPW of a garrison, to become the director of FMWR, uh, to become uh, the uh, director of the DPTMS, those kinds of things. And so at the grade of GS 13 or 14, uh, we transitioned from, from majors and lieutenant colonels to GS 13s and 14s. And, and we uh, expected and what I saw firsthand witnessed uh, exceptional leadership by a civilian corps uh, that was capable uh, of performing those tasks. Uh, and, and that enabled our army, which had a ceiling of the end strength for the active army of whatever the number was at the year to be able to focus those soldiers on those tasks that only soldiers can do, and which circles right back to, to sustain uh, the, the installations of the army uh, to go from uh, generation to generation of Army civilian being able to continue to accomplish that task, the essentiality of professional military education, uh, as well as the technical development and technical skills associated with the career programs and, uh, and, and the various uh, other uh, career fields that our Army civilians are in, uh, has to be sustained, has to be focused on uh, for our for the uh, installation management enterprise to be effective. And again, uh, after over four years of service in Europe, working with uh, seven wonderful garrisons that were in direct support of the uh, Army S Service Component Command of the United States Army Europe, as well as UCOM, AFRICOM, and the other uh, joint players inside of the uh, European theater, uh, I, I could not have been more proud of what our civilian corps looked like uh, 15 or 20 years after that transition occurred to be able to free the military members to be, you know, in the, in the formations that uh, are assuring our allies and deterring uh, uh, the Russian threat that exists there uh, currently. So it, it works. And uh, our army took a chance and it's our, t it's our job as the army civilian corps to make it better uh, and that goes with everything we've been talking about from supervisory development programs to uh, the professional military education that uh, we need to ensure we have greater attendance to uh, as we move forward. And so, Mr. Formica, I want to thank you for your time. And uh, I know you're a busy man, so thank you for taking time out to speak with our Leader Up audience today. Is there anything else that that the folks that are listening, uh, uh, that, that, uh, they need to hear from you that I haven't asked you about. Yeah, no. Well, thanks. Thanks for the opportunity to share some of these thoughts. And, uh, uh, I, 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 I want to really end about where I started, uh, a bit ago here. And, and that is, you know, a conscious decision was made by senior uniformed leadership to include us, the Army Civilian Corps in the Army profession. We, we have demonstrated 
our uh, capacity uh, to perform in those roles. And it's up to us uh, to, on a daily basis, live up to that and to challenge those that are inside of our organizations uh, to live up to that and to inspire them that what we do is not a job. We are are not, you know, working for the Army. Uh, We really are in the Army. And and I I care to say that um, the Army professionals inside or inside of the Army Civilian Corps probably walk home every night or drive home every night with a bit of angst about whether, you know, they have enough resources to perform the tasks, whether they have uh, the right skill sets inside of their organizations to perform the tasks. And that's a good thing. That means that you are committed to this army as service versus a job versus a paycheck. And, and we, the army and you, uh, members of this part of the army profession, the civilian corps, we need to con- constantly seek ways to, uh, fill those gaps or find ways to mitigate them so that we can continue the great tradition of the United States army. So thanks again, David, for giving me the opportunity to talk with you guys today. All right. Thank you. And thank you again from all of our uh, Leader Up audience out there to you, Mr. Formica, for uh, stopping by and talking with us today. And uh, this is your host, David Howie, uh, saying farewell. And please make sure to join us again next time for another edition of Leader Up. As always, if you have any questions or feedback or would like to learn more about our podcast, please check the description for our email and for our website. Thanks for listening.